You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Accept each moment as if you had chosen it. In this episode, Eckhart talks with a live audience about the process of becoming aware. When challenges arise, he says, go with it. Learn to accept each moment as if we had chosen it. Then what looks like an obstacle becomes an opening into transcendence. So first of all, I'd like to ask you to, as you sit there, to become aware of yourself. Now, what does that mean? Usually, to become aware of yourself, you would go into thought, because what you usually identify with as yourself consists of thought plus some emotions that accompany the thoughts. So, usually, when people refer to themselves, myself, they're talking about the me that consists of thought and emotion, mental, emotional entity. And so, when I ask you to become aware of yourself, you would usually make reference to your name, and your history, your general life situation. But if you look at it more closely, your name, your history, and your general life situations, right here and now, only exist as thought. Your entire life situation, which includes your relationships, all the things from your past that have brought you into your present situation, your health situation, or other aspects of your life situation, whether it's great at the moment or dreadful at the moment, whether you've lost your job and your money and your home, and here you are, or you've just bought a mansion and just got a, your new, new private jet, and uh, you have a trophy wife or trophy husband, identify to feed your ego. So whether in the eyes of the world or your own eyes, you're at a wonderful point in your life situation or a dreadful point in your life situation, it's still thought. Because right here and now, then now here we come to what I'm talking about when I say become aware of yourself. 
I'd ask you to become aware of yourself without reference to thought, without referring to your name or your history. You don't need to remember right now what you did in the past, what happened to you in the past, or what might happen in the future, which again does not exist except as thought. Isn't that a weird thing? The future, what you call future, you can only experience it as thought. Otherwise, the future has no reality. Isn't that weird? Is that true? Yeah, well, if it were not true, one of us, at least, would have experienced the future at some point, but nobody has, ever. Because as such, it doesn't exist. As a thought, yes. But when the so-called future comes, of course, it can only be experienced as the present moment. So, become aware of yourself now, without reference to thinking, which means, let's just let go of looking for ourselves, or I'm talking to you, let go of looking for yourself in thought. Okay, let's, let's let go of that. Is there anything that remains or what remains? What is it that remains if you don't go into thinking in order to become aware of yourself? And now, don't answer that question by saying anything, because that's thought. So when I ask, is there anything left of you, if you don't go into thought to find yourself, is there anything left of yourself? And of course, resist the temptation of going, um, let me think. No, don't go there. Are you even still there without thought? Are you still there? Okay, I'll do it for myself now. Let's see, I'll tell you in a minute if I'm still here. <laughs> you have to do it for yourself. I'm still here, I don't know about you, but what it is or who it is that's still here, I can't say, but that there's certainly a presence, a consciousness. If there were not a consciousness, this entire room wouldn't even be here, it wouldn't be perceived as a room. Maybe there would still be molecules and atoms floating around that make up those bodies, but there wouldn't be a room and there wouldn't even be people. There's a consciousness, that, uh, the org there's an organizing principle. Without the consciousness, there would be no perception of this room. So definitely, you, what you know for sure, but not just knowing, but sensing yourself as a conscious presence. You can only sense yourself as a conscious presence if you are not thinking, just aware. Just present. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Another pointer, stillness. You have to become still inside. 
Maybe that's not the right way of putting it. You have to discover or find the stillness that's in you as the presence. And that's amazing. In a way you could say there's nothing there and yet there is a presence that has no form. And then you can still perceive everything, but instead of perceiving it as a person, which is when you label things with thoughts, instead of perceiving things as a person, you perceive things as a conscious presence or an awareness in the background of your sense perceptions. And the analogy I sometimes use for this is a canvas. All the things you experience through your senses are a continuously changing painting on this canvas. That's your, the life that you, the sensory perception that is your life. And there's the canvas and there's the sensory perception. And mostly you would be so in it that you don't realize that there must be a canvas, otherwise there could be no sensory perception, no painting. So if you were this painting, you could suddenly become aware of yourself as more essentially the canvas that makes the painting possible. So you can sense yourself as the awareness behind the sense perception. And you can walk around and look around, listen, look, touch, whatever sensory perception there is, move the body, and just be the presence for the sense perception. And at that moment, the person isn't really there. Something more vital is there. Something deeper than the person is there. Consciousness itself. And it doesn't mean you don't go back to being a person, but you no longer go back and completely identify with the person. Of course, you go back into thinking after a while, you go back into thinking, but less and less do you identify with the thinker as yourself. That's an enormous liberation. And then another version of what we just did is the Indian, especially practiced by Ramana Maharshi in the middle of the 20th century, first half of the 20th century, spiritual teacher, the question, who am I, is the same thing. He recommended this as a meditation to ask yourself, who am I in your mind? You ask yourself in your mind, who am I? Eyes open or closed, doesn't matter. Who am I? And of course, any answer that you can think or speak is not it. <laughs> So one could say, there is no answer, but that's not entirely true either. There is an answer, but the answer is not in thought or word. It's not a thought, it's not a word. It's what's left when you let go of looking for yourself in thought. That's an incredible liberation. The liberation of your identity from being trapped in thought to suddenly realizing that beyond thought there is a depth to who you are where you merge with something very deep and vast and you realize you're only the outermost manifestation of that 
which you truly are, which is deep and vast. And then that depth and that vastness can actually, through you, come into this world, shine into this world, can use your mind, can look around and say, wow, I created all this and I'm creating all this, isn't that great? And then what happens to you as a person in your life, your so-called life, it's not your life, it's just life. You don't have a life. <laughs> you are life. If I say I, my life or I have a life or my life is no good or my life, you, have, you create a duality, you say, my life, here I am and there's the life that I have, but who am I without the life? So it's a mind-created duality. Are you happy with your life? No, I don't have a life. <laughs> <laughs> so the, what happens to you as a person it still has a certain importance. You would probably rather be healthy than sick. You would probably rather have a nice place to live than a dirty place to live or whatever, noisy, dirty. Maybe you would rather have a vigorous body than a body that's not doing so well anymore. You'd rather have a live with uh, or work, live with nice people. But it doesn't happen all the time. These things shift. What happens to you as a person, you still can be pleased when so-called good things happen and so-called bad things happen. You might be, oh, that's a bummer. But it doesn't go that deep anymore. Although it may still be important what happens to you, it's no longer absolutely important. So there's a certain detachment from the person, which is very pleasant. Also, your mind, your thinking mind, no longer has the ability to make you unhappy by thinking unhappy thoughts that you completely believe in, saying, my life is awful. It's a thought. Where's your life? Show it to me. What's awful? You're sitting there breathing, looking, isn't that your life? No, no, my life is that. Let me talk, tell you about it. And then that, what's going to come, and that, and all that. I'm on my way to see the lawyer because I, my business has gone by bankrupt. My wife has left me, has taken the children to. The house has just been repossessed, couldn't pay the mortgage anymore. And I have a health problem, I'm going to see the doctor about it, but right now I'm going to see the lawyer to, for bankruptcy and divorce proceedings. Awful, awful, dreadful, dreadful. Okay, sometimes I ask people, I say, if you think you have problems, where's the problem now? What problem do you have now? And then sometimes the first answer you get is, well, I just told you, I've gone bankrupt, my <laughs> wife has left me, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And then they have to, no, no, uh, now you're sitting on this bus and you're going to see your lawyer for the divorce proceedings and then you're going to see another lawyer for bankruptcy. But right now I'm asking, what do you have a problem now? Now. And sometimes that can bring about an awakening. And that same person 
who carried this enormous burden of undeniably very challenging situations. Nobody denies that this is, these are challenging situations. But a, a person who was so burdened with a life situation that he or she could not look beyond the burden they carry, this enormous burden of their life situation in their mind, that's where it lives, because it's not here now, it's in the mind, and carrying this enormous burden. Say, what's your problem now? Sometimes you have to hit the people, hit them to bring them into the now. What's the problem now? Now, that would be, I don't do that, but the Zen master sometimes does that. And then, say, okay, this moment, and this is the power of the, power of the present moment, this moment, tell me what is the problem. And then they look for it. <laughs> Are you breathing? Yes. Are you still alive? Can you sense the life energy in the body? Yeah. If I get it out of my thinking enough, I can feel it some. Can you see the flower? Yeah. Well, then look more closely. Okay. Wow. For a moment, you say, wow, it's amazing, it's so beautiful. Oops, I forgot to think about my problems. Uh, can you see, the, if you're outside, say, can you see the sky? Look at the sky. And are you still breathing? Yes. Look around. This moment, that's an, it's now, it's alive, you are alive. Can you feel that you're alive in your body? Yeah, that you're present and breathing. Yes, an underlying consciousness. Now, just now, yeah. So, where's your problem? Don't have one. Wow. Of course, that may not last very long because then the mind will come in and say, yes, but... And of course, life can be lived in that way because then when the moment comes, you enter the office of your attorney in order to initiate whatever the attorney has to do. That's still the present moment. And you, you, you're walking there as that presence into that situation. What can we do? And you look at the situation and you're still present. And the whole complaining entity thought-generated, complaining, victim, victimized entity, mental entity, is recognized as ultimately illusory. So you can still deal with situations without the illusory self, which would fuck things up anyway. Sorry, <laughs> but that's how it is. The illusory entity, when it deals with things, it creates more, more of a mess. I mean, you can see how sometimes how certain divorce proceedings are just absurd. The conflict, it, it grows and grows and grows and grows on both, both sides. Crazy. So there's enormous power in continuously bringing your attention back to the present moment. And ultimately, 
all you ever have to deal with and all you ever can deal with is whatever arises right here and now. And that's, you certainly have the capacity to deal with whatever so-called problem, challenge, arises in the here and now. But you cannot deal with, and you do not have the capacity, nobody could have, the capacity to deal with problems that are entirely mind-generated. And then deriving an identity from that whole set of problems. And it's not a pleasant identity, it's a terrible identity. But a very heavy me, a suffering identity. So to get out of suffering, to use that term that comes from Buddhism, it's just the Buddha said, wherever you go, whatever you do, you'll find dukkha. Translated as dukkha, the term is translated as suffering, but it means unhappiness, it means misery, it means unsatisfactoriness, and just generic unhappiness. So that's, that doesn't sound like good news. And so the academics who study Buddhism say Buddhism is a nihilistic or life-denying religion or creed. Why do they say that? Because they don't understand it. Why don't they understand it? Because all they do is try to understand it through mental concepts. So when the Buddha says, whatever you do, wherever you go, sooner or later, and usually sooner, you'll find dukkha, which means you'll find certain unsatisfactory elements, at the very least, whoever you are with, you'll find certain unsatisfactory elements in that person. Wherever you go to live, any place, you will find certain, at the very least, certain unsatisfactory elements in that place. Whatever work situation you find, whatever new job or career you find, you will find that the greatest career has unsatisfactory elements at the very least. If not, it causes you a heart attack and kills you because it's so stressful, because your job is so important. You're stressed out because of the importance of this great job and can't enjoy life anymore for 10 years and finally collapse and die. <laughs> so that was a great thing, great job. <laughs> I made it. So the Buddha said, what they, they don't see is, if you look for yourself in situations, if you look for ultimate satisfaction in places, in situations, in people, then you will find unsatisfactoriness and suffering. But if you don't look for satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction or happiness in a place, in a situation, or in another person, if you don't look for it, if you don't demand that a situation, a place, or another person should make you happy and fulfilled, then things suddenly are very different. So if you're not looking for yourself anymore in all those things, then you can become aware of yourself directly as presence, and that's the source of all satisfaction. 
You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And then even in the time when you lose everything, you can suddenly go even more deeply into that place of pure presence or beingness and then deal with it. But you can go more deeply into that. And this is why people, this always happened throughout history, people who lost everything, I described this imaginary or hypothetical case just now of the man who went bankrupt, the wife left him, he lost his home and all that thing. But this, these things do happen to people. They're probably happening to a certain number of people in this country and other countries and in some places happen collectively to groups of people. Suddenly, 100,000 become refugees, have to leave home and country. This is happening and has happened throughout history. Huge challenge. There's no denying that this is a huge challenge for every person, but it is also potentially a huge opportunity for discovering that dimension within yourself. And there have always been many reports throughout history of people who have gone through great loss, not due to any spiritual teaching, simply by experiencing great loss in their lives, which at first, my whole life has gone to pieces. It's all gone. It's all been taken away from me. And first they became unhappy. And then at some point, some realization arose. And they were forced into the present moment. And there they sat and said, wow, that is incredible. Suddenly, everything that they had identified with was taken away. So what do you do then? Who are you if all the things that you thought you were, all the things that you derived your identity from, of course, it's not the things, it's the thoughts about these things, taken away. Who are you? So life sometimes forces you into asking this question. I have nothing that I can identify with anymore. Who am I? And so what is left when these things are taken away from you? And many people are not, nobody has shown them or taught them the possibility of that situation, but potentially it's an opening into transcendence. It potentially, any great loss is an opening into transcendence. You have to accept the loss. So it's like a chunk of you has been removed and then another chunk, and another chunk. And then you don't know who you are anymore because you can't identify with stuff anymore. You can't say, I'm a husband because the wife has left you. You can't say, I'm a business entrepreneur because your company has collapsed. You can't say, I'm a homeowner because that's gone. Now, what the ego can do, however, in that situation, it can strengthen itself enormously by saying, I am a victim 
of other people, of life. So the victim identity can replace, and often it does, it replaces in many cases the ego identity that no longer works because you've lost it all, but that can be replaced because the ego is very resourceful. It can then, it then says, okay, I'll identify with something else. What's that? Well, I'm certainly been victimized by life, certainly been treated unfairly by life, by the goddess of fortune. If you were a Roman, you called it the goddess of fortune, Fortuna. Or you can say God. God, you've gone too far this time. <laughs> Why are you against me? Why do you treat me like this? I hate you. Or you can say, I believed in God, but when this thing's happened, now I don't believe anymore. Okay. Victim identities can often replace any other kind of identity. And that the ego can remain in place that way, but it doesn't have to be like that. And you don't have to wait for loss either, because here we are voluntarily, without life forcing us into it. Well, some of you are here because life kind of forced you here. One way or another, discover who you are beyond all the identifications as pure presence. Now, you may have heard the term God-realization, which is used sometimes in various spiritual traditions. God-realizations, what does that mean? God-realization is quite simple. It's realizing who you are beyond the person, consciousness. Now, does it mean consciousness is God? Does it mean you are God? This is dangerous territory. Yes and no. If God is the source that emanates the consciousness and then shines into this dimension, like the ray of sunlight, the ray of sunlight that touches your skin, is that the sun or is it a ray of the sun? It's just how you use language. Of course, it's connected to the sun. It emanates from the sun. You can't say there's no point that you reach when you go back. If you, if you were able to travel back to the sun on this ray, there isn't a place where you say, here's the sun and here's the ray. They merge. Here's the sun and then it becomes the, the rays of the sun. And in the same way, the consciousness emanates from the source of all life and then manifests as beings. And when the consciousness becomes conscious of itself, that is the awakening of consciousness in this dimension. So God in you is consciousness. What's left when you let go of form, identity? And what's left when you let go of identifying with form is spaciousness, what the Buddha called spaciousness, translated as emptiness, but uh, spaciousness, presence, stillness, the kingdom of heaven. Somebody used that expression. My translation is kingdom is dimension, heaven, sky, is spaciousness. So when Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he's pointing to something in the sense-perceived world in order to get people to 
sense what he's talking about on the inner level. So he shows the sky or heaven because it's the most spacious thing there is and it is not, the sky is perhaps the only thing in this dimension where you, of sensory perception, the only thing that you can see that's not a thing. <laughs> because the sky doesn't exist as a sky. There is no such thing as sky. You can never touch it or be in it. Or If you go in, up in a rocket, you go through a cloud, but you can never say, I am now in the sky, because there is no sky. It's just a way in which we perceive spaciousness. And so he used that analogy in order to point to something within you, the dimension of spaciousness, the kingdom of heaven, the dimension of spaciousness that is within you, that is consciousness, pure consciousness. That is the only thing, the most important thing, he said, the most important thing for you to be concerned about. Find that within you. Everything else will fall into place. It's a free translation of what he said. Everything else will fall into place. Just your primary task as a human being here is to find that dimension of consciousness in you. Then you have fulfilled your task as a human being. Not that necessarily your life will then come to an end, because you can then be here in a much more beneficent capacity because something else expresses itself through you, no longer the egoic, the limited ego identity, and it can speak and act and do or just emanate through you into this world. You become an expression of the transcendent dimension. I don't use the word God very often because it's misleading. First of all, it's because it's been misunderstood and misused over, over so many centuries. And also because the term itself seems to encapsulate it as if it were something that has a, is a finite thing, God. Almost everybody imagines some kind of entity when you say God. Where? Where? Where is he? Oh, he, you see, most people still call him he. A, a, a slightly better pointer would be to say, for example, well, what I said just now, the dimension of the transcendent, and even what they used in Star Wars that became so popular, again, is a term they used that is not as encapsulated as the realm God, the force. May the force be with you. Okay, where's the force? It's everywhere. <laughs> there was a slight spiritual message in that, and this is why so many people loved, because they're all looking for it somewhere. They loved it. May the force be with you. The divine, you could even say, this is less enclosed than the term God. The divine is more an open concept. God is a more of a closed concept. And inevitably, because of misuse, people inevitably imagine some kind of male entity still. It's, you can't get away from that. <laughs> and a controlling one, a patriarch, or somebody who's, who's not done a good job. I could have done better than God, therefore God does not exist. Do you hear that sometimes? Of course, it's all 
based on a complete misperception of what God is. God is, one could say, the divine is incarnating into form continuously. And no form is autonomous. You are not an autonomous being that is separate from the totality of consciousness. You're an expression of the one consciousness manifesting temporarily as a person. And then it's another, and another, and another, and another, continuously changing, shifting, but it's always the one appearing as the many. And it's a strange image in Christianity. You have the image of a, of a, a man nailed to a cross, which is the central image of Christianity, which to Christians is deeply meaningful, and to non-Christians does not make any sense at all. But there is a transcendent meaning to it, which you can understand if you're a Christian or not a Christian, and that is that the divine is incarnating in form, fallen into form, one could say, almost, and it points to the figure of Jesus is a is an archetype of uh, the human archetype. It points to the purpose of suffering as suffering as an opening into the transcendent dimension. And every human suffers, every life form suffers, because life is hard and challenging and precarious for every life form. From the moment life comes into being, Life is challenging and precarious for humans, for animals, for plants. Every life form encounters obstacles in its attempt to grow and expand, and it continuously encounters obstacles to its expansion. Every human, in one form or another, if you come into this world, very quickly you'll find obstacles seeming obstacles to your expansion and growth and well-being and flowering. I think you can all, if you think about your so-called life, how many obstacles life seems to have put in your path towards happiness. And some people perceive life as life continuously is sabotaging my attempts to find happiness. Why is that? And then they have these strange theories that God is against me, whatever the theory is. But it does seem like, and this is related to the Buddhist term dukkha or suffering, wherever you go, you will find life is sometimes helpful and then obstacles again. <laughs> Some people believe if you only practice positive thinking continuously, you will no longer encounter obstacles. But that unfortunately is not the case. Positive thinking is a great thing, can be extremely helpful and bring about certain shifts in you, but it does not free you from experiencing the obstacles that life will put on your, in your path and the challenges that come. So those obstacles, whether they come in the form of loss or illness or relationship problems, many of them arise from their own mind because your mind creates an enormous amount of problems that are quite unnecessary, but the mind doesn't know that. So the mind creates an enormous amount of conflict that is unnecessary in your life. That's one kind of obstacle is your own mind. And again, you, are, you need to experience the consequences of the 
obstacles that your own mind creates, the conflicts and the unnecessary problems that your own mind, because you're identified with the mind, creates, you need to experience the suffering that you create for yourself out of that unconsciousness of, unconsciousness means completely identifying with the mind, the egoic mind, which in many cases transforms challenges which could be solved easily into much bigger problems. So you have the, your mind created obstacles that you ultimately create yourself because you're not conscious enough and then you encounter suffering. This is one level of suffering. And this is, you need to experience the suffering that comes through unconscious use of the mind in order to awaken. It's only through the suffering that eventually you go, can't take anymore. As happened to me when I was in bed one night and said, I can't live with myself anymore. And, it's, and then somehow I realized that this myself that I couldn't live with anymore was an illusion an illusory entity, and very unhappy mind-created entity. But before I realized that, I had to go through this suffering for years and years. <laughs> so the suffering worked. <laughs> it fulfilled its purpose. And then you have another level of suffering or obstacles. Obstacles come to you seemingly from the outside that suddenly you have an accident an illness that's a kind of outside, it's just, something seems to happen to you that you have not contributed to. Something happens to somebody close to you, dies as an accident. Many things can happen where you seem, I haven't created that, of course. In New Age, it's very normal to say, when things go wrong in your life, the typical New Age person will say, how did you create that? You slipped on a banana skin and broke your leg? Why did you create that? How did you create that? It's an interesting question. I don't want to go into this, whether even those obstacles or challenges that come to you, not seemingly not from your own mind, but from the outside, did you still create that or not? Let's leave that aside. I don't want to convince anybody one way or another. <laughs> I have a much more simple recipe here, which goes like this. Instead of telling people, you better look at your life and see why you created that or how you created that, I say, accept each moment as if you had created it. Accept each moment as if you had wanted it or caused it, wanted it to happen. I can't remember my own writings. <laughs> it's always not good to go into memory, don't quote, just present moment. So, but if you live, whatever happens, you accept this moment as if you had chosen, that's the one I wrote, accept, <laughs> accept each moment as if you had chosen it. Well, that's a good recipe for working because if it already is the case, you might as well accept whatever is as if you had chosen it because it's already here. So I'm not telling people you chose it. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, doesn't matter. It, still accept it as if you had chosen it. That shifts things, that your whole attitude to it shifts and you, it dissolves more quickly than whatever the obstacle is. 
But let's go back to the suffering. First, the suffering that arises from your own mind creates conflict and all those things that create suffering. And then at some point you awaken. And then what remains is the suffering that comes with having a body, for example. Because eventually the body gets older. No matter how much you go to the gym every day, no matter how fantastic your nutrition is, no matter how many pills for longer life you take, which is all fine and good, but of course every form eventually dissolves and the time comes when the body can be perceived as a burden almost. The older you get, the more likely it is to happen. And so, of course, you might then say old age isn't so bad if you consider the alternative, which is you die younger and then you don't have to experience the body getting fragile and old. But if you get old, the, the body can become problematic, a source of suffering, potentially. But those challenges, if approached correctly, don't have to turn into suffering. Accept each moment as if you had chosen it. If you can go with the isness of things, there's no complaining entity that says something about being a victim and complaining how dreadful things are now. I wish my mother had learned that lesson when she suffered in that way because she had always identified very much with her body good-looking, always nicely dressed, going out, and like to be looked at, very normal thing for many people. And then the body got older and older, and then um, hip problems and other fractures and this, and got worse and worse, and the unhappiness grew and grew. Not so much limited movement, but the identity so much was in the body that those tremendous suffering, I tried to free her. And occasionally there were moments when she could disidentify from body, but very, very brief. And that is the destiny of many humans. But this, the suffering is really that every, end, every life form encounters, the obstacles that every life form encounters, whether they come in young, at a younger age, older age, middle age, in whatever form, these things are absolutely necessary without which there would be no human evolution whatsoever and no life form would ever evolve if the life form did not encounter obstacles. So that which looks like an obstacle is actually or potentially an opening. Potentially it, that which seems to stop your progress in life always potentially can make you more conscious. So you can use every obstacle that arises in your life. It works especially quickly if you accept each moment as if you had chosen it. And when it looks like this moment is an obstacle, you go with it instead of complaining or running away from it. And then accept and then act if action is possible. Or don't act if no action is possible. The image of the man on the cross is the archetype of, that tells it's a teaching about the role of suffering for humanity. It shows that the cross, the torture instrument, which the cross is, 
it's a weird thing, the torture instrument is also a symbol for the divine. Isn't that weird? The cross, which is a torture instrument, at the same time is a symbol for the divine. And that's the, the essential teaching of Christianity that is teaching in images, a myth in the deepest sense. But the teaching of myth is a deeper truth that, that otherwise perhaps humans would not have understood over the centuries. So everybody, one could say, and this is a medieval way of speaking, everybody has their cross in life. That's what they used to say in medieval times. So there was some wisdom there. Everybody carries their cross in one way or another. If you don't have a cross right now, just wait a little, then you'll have another one. <laughs> Everybody carries their cross, but the cross is not only a torture instrument. The cross is that which seems to obstruct you. But it's not only a torture instrument, it's also potentially an opening into transcendence. It can make you more conscious if approached correct. So you be, can be grateful for all the things that look like impediments, obstacles, and difficult challenges in your life, whether it's of a physical nature, a relationship nature, relationship. Many people, through experiencing conflict in relationships, have eventually become more conscious of their own minds and their own contribution to the conflict and unconscious mind activity and ego and so on. In every area of your life, use the obstacles and the, the challenges of life and realize you would not evolve without, there would be no growth of consciousness. So your comfort zone, which is not a bad thing, it's, I mean, to be in a comfort zone from time to time, I must admit, is quite nice, but to look for a comfort zone and believe that your ultimate purpose in life is to find a comfort zone for yourself. The bad news is your comfort zone is not the most likely place where you will find spiritual awakening at all. Oh, that's a pity. <laughs> that wasn't, be supposed to be, wasn't supposed to be like that, comfort. And there are people who don't want to leave their comfort zone, so they are in a relatively small niche of relative security, and they don't want to step out because they would step out of their comfort zone. And unfortunately, life eventually will rip you out of your comfort zone if you don't voluntarily step out of your comfort zone and accept the challenges of life. Life will destroy your comfort zone. And, oh my God. So, work with, remember the cross, whatever your cross is. You don't have to be a Christian to understand the symbolism, the deep symbolism of the cross, and see that the torture instrument, that which is in the way, is the way. That's amazing. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.